everyone welcome to movement and me an initiative that is designed for budding artists across the world who wish to pursue their career in art i'm your host deharika and on this show you will hear artists talk about their lives and the choices they had to make in pursuit of arts you will also get to use some tips and key learnings from the lives of these artists along with a detailed discussion on their areas of interest so quickly hop on to a journey into the world of arts along with us now today here we have with us miss olivia carter miss olivia carter is a veteran dance educator with experience in all teaching settings higher education K-12 schools and private studios. Olivia served as the director of dance education at Hofstra University for two years, which was recognized on a national level as one of the top 30 dance programs in the United States. She has also created two dance programs in the New Jersey public and private schools, and she has also taught in many dance studios across the country. Olivia has presented on dance education at national and regional conferences in the United States. She has also been published in Dance Studio Life magazine and on danceteacher.com. Lastly, she's the founder and CEO of Dance Ed Tips, a company dedicated to helping dance teachers refine their practice. Dance Ed Tips has supported over 2000 dance teachers across the world with their resources, webinars and online courses. They have been featured in the Dance Teacher magazine in the July-August 2020 issue, News 12 NJ, The Star Ledger, NJ.com, No Box Dance Podcast, and The Business of Dance Podcast. Now, she's also on Movement and Me. So, hi, Olivia. Thank you for joining us here. And thank you for agreeing to do this with us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yes, likewise. And I think our introductory conversation before we started the recording is even more interesting. And I have a couple <laughs> more questions that I probably will pop up as we go. Um, Sounds great. So before we get started on anything else, I think the first and the most pertinent question is, how did you get started with dance and what is your journey like? What was your inspiration behind getting into movement? And why do you think you decided to go for it anyway? So I come from a family of dancers, a family of movers. My mom was a dancer and a dance teacher my whole life. She was my dance teacher growing up. And my grandma on my dad's side is, was also a dancer and she opened a yoga studio the year I was born. So literally since my birth, I have been in a movement family and I've been so lucky to be able to watch them teach almost every day. If I wasn't going to the studio with my mom to watch her teach and take classes myself, I was going to my grandma's yoga studio, watching her teach, helping her run the business, saying hi to people at the door, collecting the checks, you know, they, they, put me in that atmosphere since I can remember. So um, I've been basically dancing my whole life and I decided to eventually go to school for dance. I was unsure first, but when I was about 16, I made the decision, okay, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. And then uh, I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey for um, dance performance and I got my BFA. 
And when I was there, they started a new program that was new at the school, and it was a master's degree in dance education. So I became a certified dance teacher in the state of New Jersey, and I began teaching in um, studios, which I'd been doing for a while in public schools and private schools. And then I've also been teaching in higher education, um, teaching other people how to become dance teachers. Wow, I think you just sort of narrowed everything down to that <laughs> short window. But I'm curious. So I have a very, um, I have a curious question and I think it just sort of, you know, uh, makes me want to ask it. Uh, you know, people talk about the idea of business and dance to be something which is very uncomfortable or something that is unheard of. Also because dance is always regarded as this high art, which cannot be um, looked at in a business from a business perspective. Uh, so how did it feel to be in, on the ground dealing and looking after a business that had movement and yoga in it? And uh, what was the experience like? You know, it's one of those things when, when it's, when it's your upbringing, you don't realize it's unique until you look back and, and reflect on it. You know what I mean? And, um, it, it's something that you kind of take for granted growing up because you're just like, oh, this is normal. And then you talk to other people and you're like, oh my gosh, this, this is actually not normal. But what, what my grandparents did for me as, as models, they really, my grandma's yoga philosophy, because she kind of developed her own technique over many, many years of, of teaching yoga, but her philosophy of yoga carried through in how they ran the business, you know, she would clean the whole place by herself because she's, you know, she always believed that you have to respect your body and you need a clean space to move in. The way that they did their, um, they would always do eight week sessions because they believed that people needed to have eight weeks of time to investigate the movement practice in order to decide whether it really worked for them for, or not. And people always said it's going to work and they always kept coming back. So they really modeled for me the fact that your teaching philosophy can it be embedded in how you actually run your business. And so I think when people do that, you run your business, your movement business from a really authentic place and, and it resonates with people. My grandmother was teaching yoga by herself. Like she taught most of the classes. She was teaching like 600, 700 people a week, you know, just her and her studio. So I think that was a really huge influence on me and how I run my own dance business now and how I interact and really try to you know, lead with my, my teacher brain and let that inform the business decisions that we make as a team. Uh, that's actually quite interesting because you point out the fact that, you know, you can take your teaching skills and put them to use in the business and also sort of curate a space that is most conducive for running a business, as well as for being able to teach whatever it is that you wish, wish to teach. Excuse me for that. But I think that's interesting because uh, nobody talks about it in that way. And, you know, nobody actually looks at business being one of those possible ways of um, teaching or a space where you could engage in teaching as much as you're engaging in, say, earning an income. Right. Uh, so thank you for putting it out there for all of us. And I think it's something that is really important to look at and think about and always remember. Uh, bringing on, taking that and also adding another layer to it, I want to know what your experience has been. You have been an educator for more than 15 years now. You've been teaching, you've been performing, and you've been participating in the whole dance space for, the, for more than 15 years. Tell me what, 
if you think or what you think about what was there before and what is there today and how have things evolved and do you think things have evolved i think things have definitely evolved um since i first started teaching and i think especially in the past you know year or two there's been even more changes happening um some of the biggest changes i see particularly in my college students and in my community is we're starting to really bring important issues about race, about gender, about equity, about inclusion, and we're finally bringing that to the forefront. There's been a lot of people who have, who have been doing that for a long time. So doing this through dance and in dance is not anything new, but it's becoming more commonplace for everyone to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations and beginning to take, you know, a critical look at ourselves and say, how can we do better? How can we serve our community better? How can we serve our students better? How can we serve dance better? And so I'm really excited that our students are growing up in a time in dance where we're actively doing and talking about those things, right? Because if they're hearing those things in their formative years, imagine the conversations they'll be willing to have on these hard topics when they're older, right? So it's just this you know, continuation of all the work that so many people have been doing, and now it's kind of coming to the forefront and we're, we're kind of building upon, um, you know, generations of work. Um, you say something very interesting, and I want to ask you uh, this question. How sure. important do you think it is for dancers, dance educators, practitioners, performers, everybody who is in the field of dance or even movement for that matter, I'll expand it to movement, to talk about issues of race, gender, equity, inclusion, because, um, even today, say, for example, if I pick up India, there are sects, there are silos that are there that exist, which are talking about these issues, maybe not race as much as uh, the other ones, but there's definitely the idea of, you know, um, what color would best suit a, a dancer. And, you know, there are issues, for example, wherein a dancer is expected to put on uh, thick layers of makeup if she's a little dark skin, just to hide the fact that she's dark skin. So, you know, you would actually see her arms looking darker in shade versus her face, which is like uh, literally bright and in your face. And a lot of dancers have complained that they actually lose self-esteem while mm -hmm. being in the process. So how important do you think it is to talk about these things? Because um, on one hand, we see that there's a section in the society that is already progressing and talking about it. There's a section on the other hand, which does not seem to either be wanting to do it or does not seem to be aware of these things. So if you right. could throw us a little, uh, throw a little light on why it's important and maybe we can just talk about how it can be done. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a big issue. You know, it's, it's a big conversation to have. There's always work that can be done. The main thing I try to remind myself when I'm in the classroom is that yes, these people that are in front of me are dancers, but they're humans first. And so we need to feed their soul as humans so that they can excel in dance and take everything they learn in dance and become whatever they want to be and, and use those skills in whatever they, whatever way they want to. And, you know, I've had the privilege, like the incredible honor of teaching tons of different types of students, different ages from different backgrounds that speak different languages. And what I've always noticed is that when the students see themselves in what you're teaching, they light up. 
I don't know how else to explain it, but when they see that they belong and what you're delivering for them, it's it's life changing. You know what I mean? So for for instance, for my male students, you know, I'm a I'm a female. You know, I identify as a woman and female. And so I see it for my boys when I bring in a male guest artist, someone who identifies as male. It, it changes, you know what I mean? And and they just see themselves in that person. They see themselves in the content. And that's just something I need to be really conscious of and keep actively doing. And that goes across everything about the body types that I show, about, um, you know, people of different races that I show, different cultural identities that I show in class, everything. I need to really make sure that all my students see themselves because if they see themselves and they feel represented, then they can begin to dive deeper into the material. They can make important connections and then the work can really begin. So I think it's really important for us to, you know, be honest with ourselves, you know, for change to happen, you have to look within yourself and just be honest, you know, like, you know, it happens to me all the time. I'm, I'm definitely not perfect. You know, I go, why did I say that? Or why did I do this? Or why did I pick that video? And the more you ask why and just, you know, are curious about your decisions, the more you can make better choices, more informed choices, and ultimately your students will benefit from it. And they they deserve the best, you know? They're your, they're your students. They, de they deserve to have the best experience they can in dance. Uh, you point something very interesting out. So you talk about materials, you talk about experiences, you talk about um, the idea of uh, being able to look at themselves in the way that they have seen somebody else. So ideal uh, idealization, finding a mentor, finding someone that they can look up to and relate to so that, you know, the process gets a little easier. You're not the first person to step into this field, do this. And hence there are people who have already done it before and you're probably only just joining the group. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that makes it a little more easier because then it's yep. not something that you're stepping out of your comfort zones or you're, you know, completely going against the nature or whatever it is that you can, you have to call it the societal expected way of moving or functioning uh, to, you know, do whatever it is that you wish to do. Uh, and I think that's very important because you see that there's a physicalization or, uh, oh, sorry, like a, a physical appearance or like a, a manifestation of what it is that you wish to be in front of you. And you can just attach yourself to it and, you know, imagine yourself in the shoes of that person and see if, you can even try and be that person someday. Um, so thank you so much for pointing those things out and, you know, really um, looking, at, looking at it from this perspective, because while we do do the readings, while we do teach the dance, while we do teach movement, we have conversations. Uh, it's We don't really necessarily talk about bringing in other people who they can sort of, you know, um, learn from or get mentored from and also maybe even idolize for a certain, to a certain extent. Um, and I think that's also important. And now, now that you talk about it, my brain's actually working in the background thinking, oh, yeah, very, very, yeah. very interesting because it puts like two and two together and makes it easy. It's like a bridge in between that, com that combines what is already being put in theory, theory, what is being discussed in class to what can be done in practicality. Um, so thank you so much for pointing it out there for all of us and for all dance educators. Whoever's listening, please, you are more than welcome to, you know, get in touch with all of us. Um, type in the chat box on YouTube or just click on 
send us messages on Spotify or anywhere else that you can find. I've also attached my email ID or mentioned my email ID on the YouTube channel. So you're more than welcome to email them to me. Uh, if, there are, if, they, if the questions are from Olivia, I will forward them to her. And whenever she gets the time, she will definitely respond back to us. But that's how we build a community. So I hope you reach out and ask for any help if you have any questions or doubts. On that note, I have a very, I have a question that I want to ask you, Olivia. And this is something that also happens to bother a lot of people. And it's okay. something that I personally have struggled with is what I would say. Um, so you have been a dance educator, sorry, you have been the director of dance education, uh, education at Austria University for almost more than two years. And I want to know, why did you decide to start a social media page or why did, how, I mean, the question more, more or less is how important do you think social media presence is in today's world for an artist, for a dance educator, for a dancer, for a practitioner, whoever it is in the dance field. And why do you think you decided to go and, you know, create a social media presence for Hofstra University on social media? I mean, what was the purpose behind it? Yeah. I mean, social media is, it's kind of your business card now, you know, it's kind of, it even, I dare say, I know this might feel controversial for people, but even more than a website, I think. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes because you kind of have to think of like how you're going to brand yourself. You know, you have to kind of think of that word, but that's, that's kind of what's starting to happen. It's really your, your outward facing presence with people in your community. And so I think for all dancers, choreographers, educators, it's great to have, if you know, if that interests you, to be able to share that part of yourself and can help you connect with people who believe in the same things, kind of like we found each other, right? And it kind of makes you feel like you can find the individuals that are kind of pursuing the same interests. In terms of Hofstra, they actually had a social media presence before I was there, but what was kind of happening, what I was noticing is that the way that the students were using it, it was really geared towards students that were at Hofstra at that time. So they were posting things like, hey, we have a meeting tomorrow, or um, we have auditions coming up. And so the purpose of their social media platform that they had was really geared for people who were already there. And they were doing a great job at that. You know, it felt very like a community. But when you were an outsider, looking at the social media, prospective students couldn't really, you know, they didn't really get a feel, is this place for me? And so that's really the shift that I kind of nudged my students in when I was at Hofstra was, how can we make this social media platform also really interesting and exciting for people who want to be prospective students and for people who want to decide to come to Hofstra and do dance education or or do dance. So I think for anybody who's building a social media platform, you really need to think about who are you talking to? Who is your audience, right? So it's not just maybe um, in terms of Hofstra's case, it's not just the people who are already there. We also want to talk to people that we want to come. So that's definitely um, kind of a tip I have for anyone who's looking to do that. Think of your audience. Um, I think it's very important, of course, like I, I personally have, have struggled. I was like, I'll, I'll just put things up because I want to put things up. And then when I started putting, putting things up, I realized that it's probably not something that people would want to read or go through because it's not relatable or it's something that only 
makes sense to me in my head because in that moment this is the most relatable content i could find or this is how what i stumbled upon um right. i think it, you're absolutely right to talk about what uh, who you're speaking to and who it is that you want to have a conversation with and it becomes utterly important to have that distinction in your head and have that understanding in your head before you put anything on social media um uh but i want to ask you another question about social media because you just pointed it out that it's probably something which is a lot a little bit more important than say your regular um website like you know your website that you own so how important and why do you think that social media is gaining so much of popularity and is there something that we need to as a collective community keep in mind when we talk to each other are there certain things that we need to really have conversation about is there a way because i notice um today that people uh, just blindly send messages or you know type things in the comment section without really thinking of the consequences that it their comments may have and then you know uh we're living in a very volatile community so is there something that you would like to tell the people who are really engaging with social media uh to be mindful about yes it's 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 hard <laughs> i have to admit you know I, we've been very lucky you know on the dance ed tips page everyone has been super positive constructive helpful it's been a really positive experience. So I I have to say like our community is awesome and and we we it's been nothing but positive. But you know, I do see sometimes and it depends also on the platform. Like sometimes in like Facebook groups, I see that it, that's where it can get really heated. And something that I try to think about when I'm, you know, looking at other people's pages is I'm trying to always think to myself, they're a, if they're a dance educator and they're a dancer, they automatically have something that i value and 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 can connect with and so i want to assume the best i want to assume that you know they're always thinking about their students i want to assume that there there's a rationale behind how they're doing something behind why they're doing something like i always try to tell myself the teacher knows their students the best they're the ones that are with them all the time you know daily or weekly and so i always try to remind myself that most likely whatever this teacher is doing or this person is doing they're probably doing what they think is best for their students and so when i put that part of my brain on and lead the conversation with that i think we can always find common ground and say we all care about dance we all care about students growing through dance and let's let's start the conversation that way and we we can disagree you know it's not about us agreeing on everything but if we start the conversation with that tone i think only good can come from it. So that's kind of my personal mindset. I don't know if it will help others maybe. Um that's kind of what I do. No, I think that's something you really uh, very interesting you pointed out. You know, um I think we somehow tend to forget and we assume that everybody who's uh, posting anything up or even you know just posting their opinion somehow has to be um uh like held accountable for their uh thoughts and sometimes i think we also tend to think that they have to prove what they are saying to be right and you know i think we are just struggling and fighting within ourselves uh to uh to you know sort of pick or stay in the binary of right and wrong that if mm -hmm. i have an opinion and i have a thought that i am right and whoever does not agree with that opinion is in the wrong 
Um, and I think you pointed something very interesting out where you say that we should always give the benefit of the doubt to the other person. They come from an understanding of what they believe to be is the right way of maybe teaching or educating or even, you know, uh, practicing or performing. Uh, and I think it's just important to understand that they may not have the tools or the necessary information to assess the situation the way that you or I do based on the kind of tools that we have today. And uh, this is something which I would like to talk about a little bit as well, because it's very pertinent in, um, in our classical spaces today. And we are struggling. We're of course now in the space where we are figuring this out for ourselves, but uh, uh, we've had this situation where um, it is uh, the body's assumed to take care of itself and that you don't necessarily need to do anything. And hence warm up and cool downs were not really a part of your practice sessions. Uh, but over time, there have been incidents and cases where performing and practicing on a cemented floor has resulted in a lot of dancers having to go through knee injuries, knee replacement injuries or hip replacement injuries because their bodies could not take their knees or their joints could not absorb the shock that would, you know, come from the floors. It's something that people evolved and learned over time. And it's, it's also because people started recognizing that, you know what? it's not natural for a dancer to have a knee replacement or a hip replacement surgery. You're doing something wrong and probably that's what's leading to it. And it's okay for you to not know because you were never taught that. But mm -hmm. the fact that you're curious enough to find out is what makes this whole process exciting and very, very necessary. If you start yeah. asking the questions, why are so many dancers going through a knee replacement surgery or a hip replacement surgery? And I think that's where you start transitioning from someone who's just following the agenda or the age old way of teaching to something that goes beyond that and trying to add and inculcate tools that will help. And I think you, um, with your experience and with your expertise that you've been doing, everything that you've been doing, have been trying to put up and create a space where you can provide such tools to people and help them out in all of that. Um, on that note, I'm gonna very quickly end the first part of this discussion and interview. Thank you all for tuning into Movement and Me, an initiative that is designed for budding artists across the world. To continue receiving notifications on our latest episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel Nati Mandalam or look us up on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for more information. I'm your host Niharika and I'll see you all next time.